Jesse Douglas Smith McGraw, and this is What Moves You with Jesse. I'm a transformative coach on a mission to share an understanding of how our minds work that challenges how we react to life and our thoughts. I love to share stories and common sense ideas that empower you to take charge of yourself in a way that brings immediate and profound change. What I know to be true is that we are all innately healthy and doing our best with the thinking we have available to us on a moment-to-moment basis. And waking up to this will change what moves you. I'm so happy you're here. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to What Moves You with Jesse. I am so thrilled to be back in your ears with a new and fresh format this season. I wanted to create a little something for everyone. So if you missed the original format from season one of my quick 10-minute episodes to listen to while you're making your morning coffee, those will be released every Thursday following the release of fantastic interviews with changemakers like today from a variety of backgrounds and careers who are making a difference in the world, and those I'll release every Wednesday. The short Thursday episodes with me will be inspired by the conversations I've released the previous day, but it will never be necessary for you to take in both episodes for things to make sense. Though I'm sure you'll want to, because I can't tell you how soul-filling every conversation has been for me so I can only imagine how they will inspire you. Our first guest to start us off this season is the incomparable Natalia Cordova Buckley. Natalia is an acclaimed actress, but she is also my dear, dear friend. I reached out to Natalia to be a guest on the show because over the last decade, I have watched her transform not only her career, with the millions of hurdles she withstands and navigates as an actor. But I've also watched her transform herself with the millions of hurdles she withstands and navigates as a human. Yes, she has been a witness to my life, and that comes with watching me learn more and more about what I share with you here and with clients. But all the while she was witnessing, she was quietly learning for herself and was willing to open her heart and take a look at all the beliefs that were keeping her hostage inside. And frankly, although I know she has hugely benefited from her transformation, it has been one of my greatest joys to meet my friend again in a deeper way than I could have ever imagined. These are the benefits of going beyond the mind you have and seeing what else is possible. Not only does your relationship with yourself improve, but every relationship in your life changes for the better. I can't wait for you to jump into this lively conversation full of wisdom. So without further ado, here is Natalia Cordova Buckley. Hi, Nat. Hi, Mama. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the show. Of course. This is a long time coming because I know you have been an avid listener and I have been 
an avid sharer of all things that I learn and do and see about life with you. Yes, ma'am. So it is such, um, it's such a gift to be able to share this space with you. So thank you. Oh, mama gift is all mine. It's, I mean, it has been a long time coming. I felt a little jealous of all the other people that have gotten to chat with you. Um, but the pleasure is all mine. Being part of your journey has been extremely special for me. Well, thank you, Nat. Um, so for people out there who don't know about all the things of who is the magic of Natalia Cordova Buckley, can you share a little bit about, um, just to share, share a little bit about yourself? Well, the magic you have to share about me, yourself, because <laughs> it is that magic, Jesse. Now, um, the magic that is me, as I always say, is the people that surround me. I'm just a reflection of them. But who I am, I, I guess, uh, born and raised in Cancun, Mexico, was a dancer for a long time. That's how my sort of theatrical artistic career started and my love for the performing arts. Um, my grandfather is an actor, so I think I also have that in the gene pool. Um, went from being a classical ballet dancer to then moving into theater because I sort of realized uh, at around the age of 17 that ballet wouldn't carry me so far, meaning it's a career that ends sort of young. So I started to venture into theater specifically because of a uh, theater teacher saw me dance and said, you should take theater, you're, you're, you're good on stage. And uh, meaning not just the dancing, but the performing, the actual like, I guess, emotional presence or whatever. And I started to take theater and I fell in love with it, auditioned for a couple of uh, schools here in the US and uh, got into a couple of conservatories, met my husband there. And then my career sort of went from there when I started auditioning. Um, so I'm an actor now. Um, I do acting for our living, thankfully, because it's a very small percentage that get to play pretend for a living in the field that I get to do it in. Very grateful for that. Um, I am the third child out of four. I have two older brothers and a younger sister. I have wonderful parents. They're not together any longer, but they're lovely human beings. Um, I was raised in the most special way uh, in the middle of nowhere in Cancun in the jungle when there was nothing. So I'm a bit of a primitive baby, love nature, love the ocean mainly. I think it's one of my happiest places ever. Um, what else? Well, I definitely have to add in because this is just, uh, you know, a fun little gold star on the resume moment that you were the first Latina superhero for the Marvel Universe. Yes, Yo-Yo Rodriguez Slingshot was the first uh, comic book Latina character portrayed okay. on, on screen. So fun. I wasn't the first Latina as me being the person that portrays it being a Latina that got into Marvel. But my character was the first uh, Latina superhero, meaning it's the first uh, representation of a female Latino that we had on, uh, on TV or the big screen. Yeah. Which has been that that in and of itself and your experience of the industry has been its own unique path, right? Because as you and I have talked about a lot, um, 
women, especially as uh, Latinas in, in the entertainment industry, really have been stereotyped a lot. And with um, your desires of, of wanting to represent, um, obviously, all, you know, what's the best way, what's the best way of saying this? Like just actually wanting to represent the humanity of, of people, yeah. of people as opposed to, yeah, being stereotyped into one role. Um, I know that that's been something that you've, that you've really taken, taken on even in just your own, you know, what you, what you see as, as important to you, the roles that you want to take on and the roles that you want to portray. Um, yeah. It's, you know, it's a fine line between your identity politics and your artistry. It's, it's a fine line and it's a difficult one to walk because yes, um, as you said at the beginning, there is a stereotype and a type and a tone for Latinas. Um, there are certain, it, it, it feels like there are certain requirements within the game of the industry that we must play to ascend to the top uh, opportunities. Um, games that some of us, or, or requirements in the game of the industry that some of us don't really wanna play. We just hope that our craft will take us there, our, uh, our artistry or whatever, um, our job. Um, so there are those things, but then at the same time, you know, I uh, sometimes I do wanna represent um, my people, and sorry, I'm using quotations because who are my people? You know, you are a white American girl and you are my people. You, I'm closer to you than I am to people that match more boxes on my identity politics boxes, you know? Um, but I, I, so I, it is important to put out there on the screen, on TV, what kids are watching, what people are watching, uh, diversity and different faces and, 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 and reality. But I think it's more because actors, artists, storytellers are supposed to be a mirror of reality, but not a mirror of our, of our morality. I don't wanna be a mirror of my morality or a mirror of my identity politics only. Meaning, um, I remember I, I, I was asked in an interview once after I played Yo-Yo. So after playing this incredible character that's so humanitarian, that's so kind-hearted, such a fighter for what's right, again, in quotations, because of what's right and wrong, but that kind of feeling. Are you just going to, they, this interviewer said to me, are you just gonna focus on playing these kinds of people? It was very perplexing to me. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, you know, if you get a role that's maybe um, evil or, or does, you know, harms others, or maybe, is, you know, has a condition, whether it be harming children or, you know, whatever it may be a darkness, are you now wanna focus on portraying the best of humanity? And I said, absolutely not. I'm, I'm not a mirror of your morality. I'm a mirror of reality. In reality, there's all kinds of people. There's bad Latinos too. I'm not, I'm not just gonna support and play Latino because yay Latinos. It's, 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 it's a fine line. I, I hope I'm explaining myself well. Um, so yes, I, I'm very proud to have played someone, a character that was so divine because as we, you know, because you're my friend and watched it, but 
we, you and I, I mean, I know she was so special, so well-written, so strong as a woman. Um, but it's not, you know, my focus to only, to use my art only to uplift kinds of people. I want to uplift all of us. I hope, and if not, I don't uplift because my character is dark. I hope you find yourself in that darkness and maybe that makes you go, whoa, I don't, I don't want to see myself that way and it makes you change because you found yourself in maybe the nasty or the the dark or the inhumane unkind parts of this character that I portrayed so yeah it's a fine line you know um I think as a person I want to uh fight for the minor for minorities for people that don't have opportunities to be uplifted but in my arts it's it's in my art is another thing so I constantly search more for characters that seem human to me that seem real that I can that can even blur the identity lines in and anyone can identify with them than to make them so marked on I just play this and I just want to uplift that. Did that make sense? Yes. Okay. And I love it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, that was a long-winded answer, but <laughs> no. be long-winded. That's what we're here for. You have been on your own journey. We'll just call it the what moves you journey. Yeah. Right. Of under of seeing this understanding for yourself of how we create our experience from the inside out. You know, people might be new to this kind of, you know, with especially with this new season three and and all the and having this be interviews um, as opposed to, you know, me talking about teaching about all of this understanding. But, you know, the grounding that we're both kind of standing on because you've been on this journey with me as well is you know, whatever is on the forefront of our mind, whenever, you know, we have so much conditioned thinking that we're constantly looking at life through. And the more that we see it, the more that we can see through it. What has been your journey in the last, you know, several years that you have been going after this as a, as an actress, as an artist, I should, I'd rather say artist. Um, what have you found in the last couple of years, as you have felt more grounded in your own well-being as a human being, what has, how has that changed the way that you, um, the way that you step into new characters? Has that made an impact on you? Um, you could also say no, but I'm just curious. No, because I'm trying to think. It hasn't changed my artistic approach. It's changed my way of thinking about the approach to it all, not just to a character. Like the okay. way I approach a character, I can't say it's, I mean, I'm sure it has, but I've never been an actor that has a method, honestly. Um, I use all kinds of things depending on the character. If I were to give you an example for yo-yo, it all started physical. I started taking martial arts. I started building my body. So the stronger I felt, the more muscular my body looked, the more I started to see her. And then, you know, I would get the scripts the day before I was going to shoot. So hours before, but I would then 
find things in me that related to her and pull those out, like things I maybe wanted to be more like, and she had those things. So it's aspirations of mine. So there's always the exterior part of her that doesn't belong to me. And then there's a lot of me in a character. That was a lot of the process with her because it was TV and it was one day after the other changed, things changed so fast. But when you have time to build a character, when well, then things shift, right? But your work for meaning they're different, the way I approach the artistry with which I built a character. But in terms, for me more, what you've taught me has healed me in such a profound way in the sense that it's how I go about my thinking, not so much how I portray a character or how I build it, but from the moment of auditioning to the callback, to the contract, to the now getting on set, meeting the actors, feeling however way you feel about all those steps, how I go about my thought process of all that is so much healthier than it used to be. And that's solely for the reason that I don't get in my own way, because I can now identify the thought patterns, which for me worked, it call it being called my ego, my thought patterns, my belief systems, my perspectives on things that I had been like, this is how you think of this, Natalia. This is your perspective on this subject. This is how you judge when someone does this or that. And all that builds a starting point of thought for you. And yeah. when I erase that starting point, I no longer have to like a runner kneel down and wait with one foot up and the other one. I completely changed my spark, my starting point. I erased my ego in some way or another, meaning my, my, my thought pattern, the way I would view things, my starting point, it, <clears throat> I don't get in my way that much anymore because I can see where, what thoughts would get in my way, what thoughts would make me perceive things in a way or another that wasn't healthy for me anymore. So the moment I identified, you know, how I was approaching all these steps that take that are are daily for us actors you know and i have an audition to do tomorrow that's nine pages i'm scared shitless that i have to memorize and then forget it because from me memorizing to me getting it is an i mean it's a very long road if not one never covered so <clears throat> i'm nervous but the thoughts before would be oh it's nine pages and I only have till tomorrow and I really want this, but they'll never give it to me because it's 2030s and I'm half, I'm halfway through my thirties now. Now that I've identified, that was your starting point. Whenever you would get anxious about something, depending to auditions in this case, um, that's the thought process you would start having. Now that I've identified, I don't have that thought process anymore. Therefore, I do it differently. For example, you and I have talked about my audition process. I like to, even though it's 12, 15 pages, I like to wake up at five in the morning, the day I need to have the audition or the day I'm going to go in for the audition, whether it be a self-tape or in person, I wake up at four in the morning that day, have my cup of coffee and I punch that bag into submission. I meaning I study, I memorize, I study, I memorize, but it has to be a life or death situation. Like you either do it now or you won't be able to present it how you want to present it. I'm not good. If you give me four days, I'm not going to be rehearsing it for four days. And it's an, that's only for auditions, not for work. But I had to come to terms with that and go, that works for you. Whereas before I would judge myself all the time and be like, you see, you leave it till the last minute, but that works for me. That adrenaline rush of, I got to get it done, works for me. And 
when I got rid of the thought patterns of judgment of how I did things or what worked for me because I was comparing it to everyone else. So once I identified my thought pattern, my ego, I was able to now see it when it comes up. It's now very obvious and go and blow it away. Yes. Think of it in a new way. That is so fantastic because I remember that aha moment when you had, I could see all of the stress that all of that thinking was giving you around just like what you just said. I'm just repeating what you just said. All the judgment about how, you know, I can sit with an audition for a week and I, and it just hangs over my head. It just feels like it's looming over me and I'll open it and I'll read it and I try to memorize it. And I just makes me sick to my stomach because I'm not really in the, in the mood or whatever, you know, giving me so much anxiety. And then, but then, you know, and I remember going, but does it always get done? And you were like, yes. And you started to kind of wake up to your own process. And I'm sure for everybody out there listening that there are so many times, especially if we've got any artists that are listening, well, Honestly, this goes for anybody (laughs) because we all have things, you know, like I've shared with you that happened to me recently where I had this sense of shift happening inside of me of wanting to kind of grow my work and what I do with it. Mm -hmm. And innocently, I was judging that I wasn't satisfied with where my, with what I, where my practice is. Cause I have this bustling practice of working with people one-on-one and that was always my dream. And so here I am. And all of a sudden something started to shift inside of me where I remember thinking like, this doesn't feel like enough, or I feel like I'm playing small or something is off. And innocently my brain started to judge that I, you know, there was something wrong with me or there was something wrong that I had built this thing. And then all of a sudden I'm willing to just throw it away or, or do I want to throw it away? And when it occurred to me that it was this conditioned belief system that you, that we all kind of have in society. And then my parents modeled it for me beautifully because that's what fit for them, which was to find a job that they loved. You know, my dad finding the high school count, the high school that he worked at for 35 years or whatever it was. And my mom with her private practice as a therapist. And then they did that until they retired. Mm -hmm. And that is what's really like built into our system of, you know, you find the thing and then you ride the thing until the end of your days. And so after about a month or so of me feeling just um, uneasy, feeling like something was off, it occurred to me one morning, oh, you are only judging yourself because you are wanting more here. And it doesn't mean you're done with the, done with what you're already doing. It's just that you want to add on to it. But because there was some kind of feeling of shift inside, you know, we get into a place of like, we want change and then the change is uncomfortable and mm-hmm. then the uncomfortable feelings makes us, makes us scared. 
And so then we retract from change and it's just this constant cycle. And it was so freeing to see, oh, there's just an old thought system in there that isn't mine. It wasn't even told to me that I had to have it. My parents didn't tell me, find the thing and do that thing till retirement. They never said that. Yeah, but, but you heard we, it from them. You heard it from society. You heard it from yeah. people enough to impact you. Exactly. And so, you know, enough where it's in there. It was just kind of living in my subconscious. So for you, it's very similar. And I know that obviously you're married to an artist also, and he loves the long game of getting the script and, you know, and dissecting it and being with it and living with it for, for, for several days. Yeah. So I can only imagine you being very different and having a different process, innocently so, instead of just embracing that right off the bat, you thought, what's up with me that yeah. I don't do it that way? Yeah. And we see it in all like branches of life. Like I remember with pregnant friends, I have the, the pregnant, well, their mothers now, but one of them was pregnant. And from day one, she was like writing every book and she was like taking every class and all this stuff. And then there was the other pregnant friend that she was like a month before she had the baby, she turned to me and she said, Oh my God, I haven't read anything now. I haven't gone to any class. I've just been enjoying this. And I was like, huh. I wonder how I'm going to be. And I thought, so it's so interesting because if maybe I wasn't the one that was wait, that didn't do anything, I would be judging myself going, oh, you haven't read anything, but it's about sitting with your true self. Like you've taught me, your, listen to that true voice, that intuition, what feels comfortable for you. And what other, other voice comes in and judges you and tells you, nope, you should be reading every book. No, nope, a good mom should do this. No, nope, a good actress would be on that page for a week on a, something that you probably might not get and leave everything to the side and just focus on this audition. Uh, and clearly my comfortable place was no, just wait till you feel the, the pull, the push, the... Now, the, now this is what I want to do. Your, your true inner voice. And, and, and that differentiation, that learning to differentiate the, the differences between those two ways of thinking has completely helped me in listening to myself and going with my gut, going with your wisdom. Yes. Fantastic. Because how many things that we're using, you know, you and I have just given two examples You know, so as we keep going down the path of life, we're going to keep getting all of these things where I think we'll keep unlearning, right? Mm -hmm. We, we, because life throws us new punches or our circumstances change, you know, we change think, you know, our, our, what we do in life changes. So then of course it kind of trips us up and we get caught back up into old habits of thought, um, have you experienced that in yourself of, of old habits of thought showing up even, even after you see this stuff? Oh, yeah. And, and I love the game now because you're like, is that my ego speaking? <laughs> I think it is. I think that's my ego. And then I call you and I go, do you think that's just my current state of mind or is that my ego telling me all that shit and I'm believing it? Because um, now, be, now because you identify the, the thieve in your home you no longer know, like, 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 did I see things? Was that a shadow in the house that I saw? Like you literally are now aware of it 
but it still confuses you. And it's still, but what I found the best is that because I'm aware of it, of my patterns, of the perspective that, again, the starting point is your perspective, your point of view of life, right? Like how you start anything, you know, how, how, how I was just talking to my cousin, I'm going to derail a little bit, but today I posted, I posted about how forever we've been indoctrinated. I mean, I don't know about you, but at least I've lived through this where maybe in America is a little more liberal, but in Mexico, for a long time, as a woman, if you didn't shave your armpits, it was like, oh, gross, she doesn't shower, she's a hippie, right? That's an indoctrination because we all grew, we all were born with hair in our armpits. A nipple is a nipple, but we've been told that the n- female nipple sexualized and that a woman with hair in her armpits is, uh, it's, oh, it's a hippie or it's dirty or it's, it's not sexy because it's always been sexualized for women. That, and, and my cousin was saying, no, that's not an indoctrination, just, that's just, if you like hair or you don't. And I was like, no, no, because I heard it since I was a little girl when I started growing hair in private areas and I would forget to shave because you're not used to it. I heard men say to me, uh, hey, Natalia, I mean, men that shouldn't ever talk about your private parts anyway, uh, family members that go, oh, shave your armpits or shave your bikini. A woman should always be clean and should always be. And you're like, what? Like, look at your bush, dude. You know, so those are indoctrinations that I ended up even breaking in myself because I, at some point, if saw saw a woman within a hairy armpit, I would have a reaction of, whoa, she has a hairy armpit. And now it's like, my armpits are hairy all the time. Literally, pandemic 101. I haven't worked, used my razor in forever. I look very pretty today, but under that, there's hair. Um, so it's, it's those things, right? How is it that for a point in my life, I would get shocked if I saw that. And now that is me. It's because my point of view, my starting point on a subject shifted because there was no longer an exterior voice telling me, oh, she showed her nipple. Now it's, it's a fucking nipple, like the one we all sucked on when we were children, which my dad has too. But at some point it was shocking to see a woman whoop out a boob and show a nipple. And that perspective has changed for me because someone exposed me to the fact that it was an indoctrination, that it was a cultural perspective, and that I heard all these people talking about it. It impacted me. I was impacted by it. I took it as my belief. I took it as my system of filters and started seeing the world that way. Yes. So those kinds of things, that's a that's a easy comparison that I tried to make with the situation we're living through where if you put your nipple out in, in Instagram as a woman, you, the, the picture gets taken down, but the nipple of a man doesn't. That's all ways of seeing the world that we've all created for ourselves instead of, and by the way, going into my perspective of a nipple is a nipple, it's also an indoctrination in some way, because to some people, what's correct is women don't show their nipples. And to me, it's like, come on, let's all show our nipples. It's normal, but it's perspectives. For me, it was getting rid of the perspectives that harm me, that stop me, that constantly pull me back and make me feel judged and make me feel like what you told me, the zing of authenticity and intuition gets died down, gets yes. put down, gets suffocated. Yes. When I feel that voice coming on, I can identify it now and be like, no, no, no. Yes. You haven't been serving me much in this life and I don't really want to take steps with you holding hands anymore. Yes. And it's so, um, 
it's interesting. I had a new client this last weekend and I always love these beginning stages because that's where like the magic starts to, you know, the magic that I, I call it the magic. My mom calls it the magic too. You know, it's like the magic that starts to happen when you start to see all of this. Yeah, when all these windows to, get open. Yes. Light. Yes. Your mind. Oh my God. So at the end of the session, she's feeling great. And she goes, I said, you know, cause I always do a check-in at the end of a session and I go, how are you feeling? She said, I feel amazing. This makes so much sense. I feel lighter. Um, I feel so hopeful. Um, and, and, and I could feel something else was coming. And I go, okay. And she goes, and I feel a little daunted. And I went, okay, why, do you, why are you feeling daunted? And she goes, well, because I have 40 years of conditioned thinking to unlearn. Yep. And I said, you know, what's funny? And she goes, what? I went, the very thing that you're waking up to, the very thing that has created all that conditioned thinking is the thing that's telling you that this is going to be daunting. Yep. yep. And that it's going to take you a long time to unlearn. Because it doesn't. No, nope. It's a button. Once you press it, it all unravels. You actually don't have to go through every subject and unravel every subject. It's just the moment you realize I've been conditioned. I've been indoctrinated. That's my ego. That's a system of, of layers of camera filters that I choose to see life through. Yeah. Everything just goes blah, 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 and it unravels. It's like pulling the fucking thread in that sweater. It's all yeah. going to go. Just keep pulling. If you don't have to actually now go into your parents, it's the difference between this work that you do and traditional psychology for me. It was, I always talk to you about the deeper impact. Let's always think of the deeper impact of every situation, the seed, be radical, go to the seed of the problem, go to the seed of the issue. This is it. You don't go to what did my parents do? What did my brother do? What happened to me in childhood? When you change the pattern with which you see all those things, you change all those things. Yes. I, I had a, I read a thing, I mean, today that is that it says you are not responsible for the programming you received in childhood as an adult, you're a hundred percent responsible for fixing it. And that's what this takes you to. It's instead of finding blame for everything that happened to you in the world and from the outside that impacted you, instead of trying to find one person that made that one mistake that has created this hardship for you or this pain. Instead, you look at the very culprit, the deeper impact, and that is your way of thinking. Yes. So the next, you know, so the next thought also to consider is just like what we're pointing to here, right? Is that it's, it's not necessary to get into the contents of all of our thinking it's just to wake up to the fact that you are always thinking mm -hmm. and all of that thinking is what puts, you know, puts information between you and life. Mm -hmm. That's it, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and in doing so, like you said, it's like pulling that one string. Yeah. You know, and of course, like we were talking about earlier, over and over again, life keeps changing around us. We continue to change from the inside out. 
what's important to us, what we want to do with our lives. But just being aware of the system at hand is the game changer. Exactly. You can still have all these doubts about life. You and I talk about those things all the time. We talk about our careers, our marriages, our friendships, our our houses. Our, our, am I going to be able to afford this when I'm older? Uh, my, my retirement, like we've been friends long enough to be friends from a very young age at 20s when you really start to be adults. And now we're close to our 40s. We're now really in the, oh, goddamn, we are adults. Um <laughs> And we have all these hurdles and obstacles to go through, but I don't, that voice that was telling me how stupid I am for having those doubts isn't there anymore. I'm just accepting of the doubt and the doubt's still there. And I still have to figure out how to fix this problem, but there's not a voice telling me I'm not going to be able to, or that I have to fix it a certain way because that's the way women, Mexican, immigrant, all these labels, again, that we put on ourselves has to do it. No. How do you do it? What's we've always also discussed that uh, you and I, my, my, my saying, just like the deeper impact is uh, define your own success. Another thing, right? Not just in the, in, in the harmful, how, how daunting this voice can be and harmful, but in the, even what success is for you. For some of us, for someone, success is living in the middle of, you know, uh, Montana in a little cabin, uh, that would be successful for me too. Um, uh, reading books and writing books and taking care of a couple of animals and living the most humble life in the world and not having many friends, maybe not being married. That's success for that person and they can die fulfilled. For me, success is something else. And even as actors, we can have different uh, ideas of success. But if we listen all the time to the generalized idea of success, then we'll never be successful because it's, 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 it's literally expecting of yourself to climb a tree when you're a fish. Yes. Why? Oh, because they told us all that to be, to be smart intelligence is to climb a, a tree. No, it's not. There's different kinds of emotional intelligence of challenges of success and all of all these things. And it was get rid of that, get rid of, these indoctrinations get rid, rid of, you know, even in history books, you notice it. Religion was our first one. Religion was the first thing that told us you have to be this way or that way, or you're good or you're bad. What's good and bad. You also decide what's good and bad, you know? Yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's finding what's best for you. And hopefully what is best for you is kind for everyone else, you know, but, but it's really getting rid of that voice that the exterior built for me which for me was is named my ego and not listening to it anymore not letting it dictate the the uh, the glasses that i choose to see life through how has this changed your relationship to yourself because i can tell you what i've seen but (laughs) go ahead so much easier with myself am i not i mean yeah We'd help that too. <laughs> and I say that. Um, no, but it's releasing. It let me be. I released. I was so hard on myself for so long. I was also a classical dancer, which is in itself a system that's very harsh, very judgmental, very focused on the physical. But you can be a dancer and be healthy with it. You know, we've seen it. We saw it. You and I spoke about uh, Simone in the gymnastics. You can be the hardcore of an athlete. And 
and have to, you know, break your bones every day and your mental capacity of what you can take every day to attain what you want. But that doesn't mean you need to be unhealthy and unkind to yourself. Um, we've, 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 we've built success on another thing I read the other day. That's why I don't like this culture of hustle. People, someone said people wear their unhealthy, wear, wear as, as a garment, their unhealthiness, their burnt out, their hustle as a pride of honor. And it's not, it's not to not enjoy life here in the now is not something to applaud people for because they're all day hustling killing themselves. No, that's not life. That's not what we were meant to do here. And we've conditioned people to think that way, even within their artistry, within their careers, that if you're not a go-getter there all the time, burning your last fuse, you're not a hard worker. Again, define your own success, you know, living in the middle of nowhere, smoking a joint and, and, and reading and just making money out of growing flowers can be the most successful thing in the world. Like it's about finding what really makes you whole, what really makes you feel alive. And for me, that's what healed me. I was so conditioned. I had been such a people pleaser. I had been so willing to make my dad happy, who's my best friend, and, and to make him proud and so willing to make the, the outside world proud of me because I had everything in this world given to me and, and, and for, for free the day I was born. I was born with everything that anyone could ever have. I really was privileged as fuck. So I had this necessity to prove myself. And in that necessity, I started hurting myself because I thought that I needed to prove myself in the eyes of others. And the, other, the only proving I needed was in my eyes, what made me happy. And if I was happy, those that truly loved me would be happy. So that was my realization. That's what allowed me to let go. Yes, weed helped me because it also made me a little lazier. It made me less hard on myself. I didn't have to work out every day like a fucking hard, you know, like a fiend. Like uh, it, it made me relax, but ultimately that's not going to help. Don't just smoke weed, do the work. You know, um, <laughs> that's what I did. I started to do the work uh, first with traditional therapy. And then finally you had all these incredible insights for yourself and started sharing it with them. And then therapy made even more sense because all these things that I was trying to dissect that to your client seemed daunting because you think you had to dissect each one. There was a key for all of them. And that was the work you do. Yes. One key could open all those doors. Yes. One key. And it's winded again. No, I love it. And, and the reality is, is that it's, it's, for me, it's, you know, being a witness to your life, it has brought out more of you, which is, you know, almost like with, with what you're sharing, it was a good reminder for me about where you came from. Cause I've been living you with you as you <laughs> for, for a few years now, you know, like with you being really, you know, true to yourself, but it's so funny because we go down this path of working so hard to quote unquote, be ourselves for everybody else that we end up leaving ourselves behind. And, you know, it's almost like I knew that you were in there when we first became friends years and years and years ago, because there was something in me that just kept being attracted to wanting to get to know you more. But the second that you woke up to all of this stuff in your head and wiped it away, I even felt, oh, there she yeah. is. 
You know, it's like, because you're, you were always loving and kind, but I don't know. It, it, it just felt very different, you know, after myself mostly. And I think that's what you were seeing. It's not, you know, like you said, it wasn't who I was toward others. I was actually very pleasing toward others because I was where you were working at. Yeah. And, but when people love you, it goes beyond that. It goes, are you, do you speak kindly to yourself? Do you treat yourself kindly? Do you know even what you really want and not what you think other ones for others want for you? It's also, you know, what we're waking up to even parenting now. Like, don't, I think a lot about that now of when I think of being a mom someday, like, don't point out people's things that much. Your kids, like, whether they be positive or negative characteristics. For me, my voice was pointed out so much when I was little. It was such a, oh, your voice. Oh, you, you must be tough with that voice. And then I was a confident little person since I was little. You know, I always had a big mouth, said what I thought. Um, so it was, oh, and she's strong. Oh, she's intimidating. So you belong, you become rough tough and intimidating because it gets ingrained in you. And all of a sudden people are like, Oh, I'm intimidated by you. And you're like, why are you intimidated by me? And they're like, because you're intimidating. And you're like, but I don't want to be. And it's, it's become that now it's become that because you've heard all these descriptions about yourself and no one was there to tell you, by the way, they're saying you're tough, but you don't need to be, you can be whoever you want. You maybe not have a parent or don't have a brother or sister that tells you, Hey, you're super sweet, Matt. You're super kind and you're really funny. You don't have to be this tough baby. You don't have to be this uh, intimidating, strong woman all the time. But I thought that's what people are shocked by. That's what people are say I am. So I guess I am like all those things. Just, just, you know, start to at some point, like you said, leave, you start to leave your true self behind. And ultimately you start to leave the child behind, which so many people always say, right? Don't, don't, don't never stop being a child. And when we're children, we're not indoctrinated. That's why we see a horse and we go, ah, it's almost like we recognize them from another life. There's no judgment. There's no, there's no judgment on people's color of skin or people's gender, on people's sexuality, on people's dresses. It's not until you start hearing people have those things that you start creating your own ego and your own filter of judgment toward others and yourself. And then if you're lucky, you have someone that disintegrates it for you from a young age. If you're not, and they say, yes, this is how you should think. And they tell you that there should be a a manual to who you are. And you create this little manual and you think that you have to follow it the rest of your life. And if you don't, you're a hypocrite and you're not congruent because that's who Natalia is. It's like, no, no, I lost my child too. I lost my ability to not be on it all the time, to not be on all the time. Yes. And it really points to, you know, um, I, I read uh, in Eckhart Tolle, um, I believe it was Eckhart Tolle that said, you know, we are the only species that have ourselves on our mind. <laughs> I know. So you know, animals, nature, we're all made of the same thing. We've got the same energy keeping us alive. And everybody, everything else just is. Yeah. And we're the only ones 
that have the power to create all of this thinking about ourselves and, and if we're doing it right or not. And um, something I think it's very daunting about this practice, but I love it. It's a huge challenge is that it is impossible to be a victim if you're practicing this. Exactly. I think it's daunting for a lot of people because it makes you immediately responsible of your here and now. No matter yep. what happened to you, the worst thing in the world could have happened to you. That happened. It's all yep. happening now. How you feel about it right now and what you think about it right now, how you deal with it is all up to you. It doesn't matter. I think for a long time, I've always had a very hard time with victimhood. I, I, I have an avid reaction, allergy reaction to it. People that go into it, I, 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 I'm almost, it's probably when I can be the meanest in my life. I just have a very like, no, can't deal with you. No. If you're not going to be responsible for your shit, I can't deal with it. It's almost something I need to practice. But even for myself, the depression that I found myself at times was a lack of me taking responsibility on myself. And it was, I'm not saying it was an excuse for me to be down and about because we all get down and about. And I still are, there are days where I don't want to wake up from bed. But I can now know that I can be in that state if I want to and be sad and be down and have all these feelings. But ultimately, I also know that I'm the only one that can get myself out of it. Here now or tomorrow later but I'm the one. And I think that's why it's daunting. But once you get into it, it's the most liberating thing in the world. And it empowers you. It really empowers you because there's no bullshit anymore. I don't get to blame my mom. I don't get to blame the teacher that did this or the friend that said that or the circumstances, the, the racism I encounter as a Mexican immigrant or the nothing. I am responsible of my perspective and it's, it, it, it packs a punch at first because you realize how many times you've done that and you kind of go, holy shit, I've been doing that a lot, but it then <laughs> becomes so liberating. Exactly. That's what I say to folks all the time, you know, holy as shit. they're at their, yeah, when they're at the beginning, I'll say, you know, it is a bitter pill to swallow at first, but once you see it for what it is, once you see, cause you know, before we wake up to this, how much our mind is, is at play in our experience before that we don't see choices. Of course. There's no choices, you know, our past, our, our, you know, made up future, our, our circumstances, if we're not liking them. It's so much easier to see that as the reason for our suffering yep. and, and not even easier. It just, that is the reason for our suffering before yep. we realize that there's a filter in between us and life. Yep. Um, but yeah, once, like you said, it's like once, okay, Ooh, that's a little bitter pill to swallow. Cause I can think of so many years and so much energy that I've wasted on blaming my, you know, blaming others, just like you said. But man, is it freeing to realize that you are in charge of your experience and you always have that capacity. And just like you said, I have moments, hours, and sometimes days where I, I remember and I know that I'm in charge, 
but man, is it hard to, to see it. Like I might remind myself, Jess, you're in charge here, but I go, Oh man, with what's, with what's going on in my mind right now, I'm having a hard time seeing it. So that's when I just say, you know, lean in, accept and do what's comforting. Cause then yeah, it, exactly. it has, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's been beautiful to be like, you're one of those dumpy places again. Nah. Do you really want to get out of it right now? Doesn't sound like you want to get out of it. Cause you don't even have the strength to fucking find the way out right now. You're in charge. Yeah. You're responsible. Be in it then. Yep. Put on love Island. <laughs> Put on some dumb fucking show and lay in it and just enjoy the miserable here and now. Yeah. And then tomorrow, if it sounds like you have to, and you can, you do, you get out. But it's for me, the perfect example, it's my mom with her divorce and sorry, mom, going to get candid here. Um, but many years after being divorced, I started talking to her about this practice and she said, Oh, well, come on, Natalia. Well, your dad did. It's not my fault. So I'm now divorced because of what your dad did. And I said, no, mom, what he did, he did. How you live after that is up to you. Exactly. That's, that's what I'm trying to tell you. I'm not trying to tell you that it, I don't, you know, I'm not even going to get into that. Whose fault it was. No, thank you. I'm just telling you the here and now that's up to you. How you deal with what he may or may not have done or what you did or not did is up to you. Your perspective of the whole situation is up to you. Whether you're friends with him again or not is up to you. Yes. That's where it gets heavy for people because we want our misery to be fixed by someone else. We want the blame to be on something else. But ultimately, is the life, life is going to throw cannonballs at us all the time. Look at this pandemic. What's your perspective? How are you going to deal with it? Yes. And it is a tough, uh, big-ass pill to swallow, but once you swallow it, it's, there's an empowerment feeling to it. There's an empowerment. Brene Brown said it. There's an empowerment to owning your shit, to owning your story, to knowing that you're the writer. There's an empowerment to that. Yes. And with power comes fear, of course, because you're like, oh, my God, I'm in charge. How do I steer this boat? But there's also a, oh, but at the same time, there's no one else steering it. It's mine. Exactly. And to I'll play off is that. And to play off what you just said, Sid Bank says, your brain, you know, is a tool. And you can, like a rudder of a ship, you can steer it right into the rocky shores mm -hmm. or into the wide open sea. Yep. Sid Banks, by the way, people, is the person that started this philosophy and Jesse just took it all the way to the next galaxy. <laughs> I love it. So time just goes so fast with you and I, but there's- I know. Imagine if we were married, we would have died <laughs> within a minute of marrying each other. It goes so <laughs> fast. It's like, I know next life you're coming back as whatever we need to come back as to be lovers, Jesse. <laughs> exactly. So, though, I do need to ask you one question because it's the through line for every person that I'm going to have on the show this season. I love this. What moves you? And it doesn't, it, whatever occurs to you, what moves you spiritually, emotionally, whatever occurs to you? 
to be moved. That's what moves me. I want to be moved. You move me. Love moves me. Um, the wind, when it hits your face and you go, oh, fuck, I'm alive. That moves me. When something, when, when your gut turns, when it does a pancake or tortilla turn on you, like something in you turns you, you on. To, it says, you're here. You're, you're here and now. You're, you're experiencing something. That moves me. Um, that magic that we speak of. Um, those aha moments are that. It's something moves within you. Something, something reassures you that, not that you are special, but that this all is special, that there's that reassurance that, I don't know even how to explain it, that, that we exist, that, that what is this, that you even get to question. You know, when I was little, I was always asking the whys of everything. I was very philosophical and it's because you know, I would get moved easily. I, I, I would write poetry about the ocean or about, you know, fall in love with the, the first kid I met in school that day. Like I was so easy to be moved. I sensitive, sensitive. I have a lot of sensitivity, but what moves me are those moments in life, are, are, are those aha moments that you and I share about all the time, right? Like you're sitting on a boat and the wind all of a sudden hits you and, and you feel the cold on your face and you go, wow, that's fucking awesome. I'm alive and I get to not just live it like animals, but get to, as Sid said, use this tool to make this living even more profound. And instead of making it daunting, use the, our mind to make it even more worthy, more profound, more, more in depth, more connected to ourselves. That, that moves me. But ultimately at the core of it, I think what moves me most is, is the people in my life. Like if it were to be one straight answer, um, without people, I wouldn't know love because we invented love really. Um, again, animals don't talk about that. It's just there. We invented love. So for me, it's that, it's that thing we invented as humans that connect us and the people that I get to experience that love, like with you, with Vivian, with Brian, Mike, my, my ultimate family, my friends from Mexico, those really deep connections, what's, that's what moves me the most. And I'm so lucky to have them because as you and I always discuss, very few people have those kinds of connections in this world. And I would say work on it because there's nothing like being moved by another human being. Natalia Cordova Buckley, everyone. That Jesse was fantastic. Elaine Gentry Douglas Smith McGraw, Jegdism for everyone. <laughs> My bestest girlfriend. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your heart. That was a fantastic conversation, exactly like I knew would happen. Oh, I love it, Mama. You know I could keep going forever. Let's do a podcast just you and I. Yeah, exactly. More oh, to come. I know. I love it. Thank you, Jesse. Not just, uh, and I'll say this to close off for you. Um, I do not know one single spiritual coach, mindful teacher, therapist, whatever, all these wonderful people that are constantly trying to help us connect 
to her deeper self. I have yet to find someone that doesn't first study the philosophy and then, ha- and then have it all figure out and then expose it to the world. Most come for years come up with this sort of stylized way of approaching things. But you have given me the wonderful opportunity to be witness to it. You are a pra- uh, practicing participant of your own philosophy publicly. You didn't just go through it all by yourself first and then put it out there. You're constantly jumping the hurdles and the obstacles of being human with all of us. And that's what I love about you because it is only through reflection. That's what I was saying about being an artist. It's only through you seeing yourself maybe in the darkness of this character that you might identify something of yourself in them and want to change it. So it's only in your reflection as a practitioner of this practice that we can really see ourselves in your own hurdles and that's how babies learn they learn from observation you don't tell them don't smoke and they don't smoke they usually don't smoke if they watch their parents be healthy so it's the same thing i've gotten to watch you practice this philosophy and blossom and therefore in that reflection i can find myself so much easier than if it's just sort of a teacher student thing where you do this and you do that and you'll be fine. Um, I've seen you run the run. I've seen you run the marathon. So it's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. We'll get off here before I take up too much airtime of just being quiet and reflective and crying. So <laughs> No, now I'm now I'm connected to myself, girl. Exactly. I'm All right. To go do that audition and be like nine yeah. pages, nothing. Exactly. <laughs> All right, everybody. Um, on to next week, and thank you again, Nat. Thank love you, you so much. I love you more. Okay. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Talk to you soon. Adios. Thank you for listening to What Moves You with Jesse. Let's stay connected. You can find more ideas and strategies on being human on my Instagram, at What Moves You with Jesse. Sign up for my newsletter or learn more about working with me at WhatMovesYouWithJesse.com. And please rate and review the show. And let us know what you think and what resonated. I read every single review. They mean so much to me. You can also call in on our hotline with your thoughts on what resonated there too. It is always live at 818-646-JESS. That's 818-646-JESS. What Moves You with Jesse is produced by Mike McGraw and Tinker City Music. Now, let's take a deep breath and give ourselves permission to live in this moment for what truly moves you.